Let's shout. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the EcoMotion podcast, where incremental improvements creates lasting transformational change. My name is Barry Murray, Business Development Manager at EcoMotion. Today's guest is the founder and president of EcoMotion, Ted Flanagan. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's nice to be here with you, Barry. Excellent. Thank you for having me here. Vice <laughs> <Nice> versa. <laughs> Now, you've had me reviewing some material lately, and some of it is has been on resilience and energy resilience. Uh, I am actually a first-timer, so can you explain to me what is resilience in the energy space? Sure, sure. It's, uh, it's the happening thing in the energy space. I mean, absolutely, it's the happening thing, and, and resilience is sort of one of these... Uh, feel-good terms uh, mm -hmm. like blockchain technology and bitcoins right. and algorithms right. and, you know there's lots of, uh, of new terms microgrids another one in our business but but energy resiliency is um, is the ability to be resilient if the power grid goes down mm -hmm. and as you know with all of the wildfires that we've had in California mm -hmm. and with all of the increased uh, storm activity ferocity and frequency of storms due to due to climate change our, our power grids, our macro grids, uh, are, are vulnerable. And as a result, everybody's trying to figure out how could they become resilient. If right. the macro grid comes down, how could my own home or how could my own business or my community, how could it continue to be powered? So this resiliency movement is being fueled out of necessity by climate, the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also being fueled by what I call the lithium-ion revolution. And the, the advent of the lithium-ion battery, all the money that's going into developing lithium-ion lithium batteries, and all the production of these batteries that are in our cell phones, that are in our cars, now they're going into buildings, it, these batteries all are all enabling resilience. So if you have a battery system on at your home or at your commercial building or at your university, and the grid goes down, the battery can be used to power the grid in that interim period. That's resilience. It's the ability to operate when the macro grid goes down. That sounds like something all of us need. I, just like you were saying, as a Californian, it's definitely something that concerns me. I have two little ones, a wife at home, and I'm not always there. So to be able to have that kind of backup would really change everything. Let me jump in. There's a lot of personal reasons to have resiliency. Family, security of your home, your, your children. Uh, think of somebody who's on a dialysis machine. Yeah. Right? You got medical, you got real medical reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, think of an ice cream factory. Mm -hmm. Right? The power grid goes down, they lose all their ice cream. So, mm -hmm. so there's, there, there are lots of different reasons for resiliency. And in our society, we've had lots of resiliency. Most hospitals have diesel generator systems mm -hmm. associated with them. A lot of police stations, a lot of fire stations, a lot of community centers, big data centers often have emergency backup systems. But they've all been diesel powered or they've all been powered with fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. It's the fossil fuels that are creating the climate crisis. So how do we have resiliency in a carbon-free mode? And that's really Ecomotion's expertise. And we've developed microgrids that, that, that couple together solar, storage, controls, and that can operate indefinitely, indefinitely if the grid goes down in a carbon-free mode, which is really important to us. Yeah. So it, I, heard you hear, I, I heard you talk about diesel generators. So how do you feel about the generator market 
and the options that are out there. I just briefly overviewed some of them. You mentioned one type, uh, diesel generators. What are some of the options out there? Yeah, well, the generator is the the generator has is the most common kind of backup that we have. There's mm -hmm. thousands of examples like we were like we were talked about, and they can be they can be diesel powered. Uh, a lot of the generators that are being sold today are natural gas powered, mm. and you might say, well, wait a second, what if the gas grid goes down? Well, yeah. Typically, the gas grid goes down only five percent of the time that the electric grid goes down, mm -hmm. one twentieth of the time. So, uh, but if you have a diesel uh, generator or, or diesel uh, genset, as, they, as they're known, you know your resiliency is only as good as the amount of diesel that you have in the tank. Mm -hmm. And so, so the, the, and diesels have a lot of generators have have a number of advantages. They're inexpensive, but they have a number of disadvantages. They're based on fossil fuels, which the fossil fuel could be disrupted. They're noisy. They require uh, periodic testing. They require air quality permits. They're, they're heavy in maintenance. Fundamentally, you've got an asset, a big, heavy asset that's just mm -hmm. sitting there 99% of the time doing nothing. Right. So what we're going to get deep in, as we get deeper into this podcast, I'm going to be talking about solutions that actually use, utilize resiliency assets all the time, and therefore they can actually make a profit along the way. Interesting. Do you think that we have any solutions right now other than battery, lithium ion, that are carbon free? Well, um, yes, uh, lithium ion is just, has just stolen the show right? mm, mm. Uh, as, the, as the storage mechanism. You know, we, EcoMotion has written a white paper on storage mechanisms. And I've documented about eight or nine different storage mechanisms. Mm. Uh, the best one is certainly pump storage, but but um, lithium ion in, in batteries, solid state batteries, are are probably not the ultimate solution. Uh, hydrogen is actually a storage medium, right? So if we have lots of excess solar and wind in the desert, you've heard about this duck curve that's sort of plaguing utility systems now. Well, if we could take that excess renewable and turn it into electrolyzed water and turn that into a hydrogen fuel, that's essentially a storage medium as well. So there's there's various storage mediums that go from pump storage all the way to batteries. There's lots of things in between, like compressed air systems, gravitational mm. systems. I think we're going to see a, a the, the whole storage landscape is going to be fully explored in the next 10 or 20 years. And it's going to be as as important to our power system as our generators are today. So, so just like the macro grid, we'll really need that be uh, to decarbonize the macro grid. We'll need a combination of renewables with whatever kind of storage at our homes and our businesses, our universities, our school sites. We need to also have some form of generation. We advocate solar here at EcoMotion, coupled with some sort of storage. Right now, lithium ion has sort of got the inside track. In that market. So this is a wealth of information, obviously. Um, where do we start? As an everyday person, where do we, what's the first step to resilience? Right, right. Well, in this white paper that I've just written, which is, we, I sort of, my nickname for the paper is Unpacking Energy Resilience, because everybody wants resilience until, guess what? They find out what it costs to have resilience. Resilience is very expensive. If you want one hour resilience or two hour resilience. Think of a UPS unit on a, in a computer system. Mm -hmm. You've got a few hours of resilience right there. Mm -hmm. uh, however, if you want to be able to be resilient for an entire school day, 
or we've been working with a resort down in San Diego family, they want to be resilient for an entire week if the grid goes down, then you're talking about much more significant investments in equipment, right? So mm. so what we really, what we start off with in this white paper that is free, it's available on our website, www.ecomotion.us. We start off by saying, you know, what are the parameters? What are you after? Well, one of them is how long, what's the duration of the, of the resilience that you need if you're a hospital, if you're a school, if you're a homeowner, whatever it is. So duration is really important. What loads do you really need to back up? Do you really need to back up everything? I mean, if you need to back up all of your space conditioning, your air conditioning, that's a really expensive, that's a big load. So often we find out that, you know, most people don't really need air conditioning or space conditioning. What they need, they need some, they need some outlets for their cell phones. They need their communications to be operating. They want their refrigerators to operate so they've got any medicine or foods in there. They don't get all wasted. But we identify critical loads. And then another thing is, um, well, uh, you know, what? how do we feel about carbon? I mean, if I'm gonna t I can talk about my own house and the investigation I've done with We'd my own house. We'd love to. Yeah, well, let's dig into that next. But, but right off the bat, you know, with my own house, um, um, you know, what is, what is the runtime? Am, am I going to try to put together a resiliency system that operates all the time, that's got benefit for me, like a solar system coupled with batteries, or am I just going to put in a generator that just operates part of the time? And, and how do you feel? How, how do I feel about carbon? How do people feel about carbon? Do they only want a resiliency solution that's carbon free, or are they or are they willing to you know invest in resiliency that's based on fossil fuels? So, so these are these are interesting um, parameters. Yeah, let me go to that house for a second because I have a I have home in Glendale, California. Uh, we use about thirty to thirty-five kilowatt hours of power every day on average. I have an eight kW solar system up on the house that's powering the entire house, our Airbnb, and an electric vehicle. So I've got I've got my all my loads covered with solar. And I thought to myself, well, if the grid goes down, here I am in the business of resilience. If the grid goes down at my own house, I will lose everything. My solar system will not generate anything for me. 99% of all solar systems in California, and in fact, around, uh, across the United States, will be rendered completely useless if the, if the grid goes down. That's because the inverter that's converting the, the electrons of uh, photons of light on your roof, the electrons of light, converting it from a, a DC into an AC, those inverters are all AC coupled. So, so I would have no resiliency at all. That's kind of embarrassing for, for a guy that's in the resiliency business. What does AC coupling mean and how is that important? Well, that means that my inverter that's at my solar system is based right near my electric meter, is getting, it's, it's getting its power signal and it's, and it's getting its sine waves that, that establishes its frequency. It's getting that from the grid, from the utility grid. So without that, if that utility grid goes down, then my inverter is a dumb device. It can't do anything. It can't do anything with all that solar power coming off of the roof. So I said, well, I'm in the resiliency business. I should do something about this. So I call up, I want a Tesla Powerwall. So I get the guy over from Tesla, uh, a great a young salesman, enthusiastic, of course. And he's, he's ready to get me to sign on the bottom line. He's got the contract already, and I'm hoping I'll sign that day. Well, for, for about $15,000, maybe a little bit less, I can get a Tesla Powerwall. Pretty cool. Looks really good. Can bolt right onto my garage. A beautiful unit, right? And guess how much power it gives me. I told you that I use about 30 kilowatt hours a day on average in my house. More in the summer when there's air conditioning, less in the winter when there's less of a space, space conditioning load. Well, the Tesla Powerwall is only 13 and a half kilowatt hours. So that's a third of my average daily load at a cost that's more than the cost of the solar system that I put in, right? So, 
So all of a sudden, if I want a modicum of resilience, I can get a pestle Powerwall again at, at, at quite expensive price. I could get the salesman said, well, you could get two or three of them. Yes, 15,000 times two, 30,000 times three, 45,000. You know, yes, I could get 45 kWh about of resilience uh, for, you know, what, about $45,000. So that's, that's, a, that's a big cost. And that's, that's a, the main point of this paper is just that resilience is, resilience is good. Everybody wants it, but again, it's an expensive thing. So you've got to, you've got to uh, invest in it strategically. So I called up a guy from the generator companies, right? And I've heard about these household generators. You get a 5kW generator, 10kW generator, 20k or whatever. They're cheap. And the guy tries to sell me a 22kW generator. It's about 10 or 11 thousand dollars. So, so 22kW. Oh my God! If I ran that through six hours, six times—that's 120 kilowatt hours. That's like three days of power. I mean, I could light up the neighborhood. That is, you know, just sort of saying that. Right. You can't. But I mean, it'd be ridiculous. It's way overkill. But again, the cost of that overkill is only ten or eleven thousand dollars, right? And they said, well, what if the gas grid goes down? Oh well, they'll sell me a propane tank also, and I can have a dual fuel generator. So, so this is um. This is a decision that a lot of entities are, are going through. It's just, just saying, well, you know, do I do I go to a solar powered energy resilient system or do I use a fossil fuel based uh, resiliency system? And uh, the fossil fuel is rather seductive. It's really cheap, but fossil fuels was what got us into this problem to begin with. So it's hard to imagine wanting to to continue down that path. So that's why again, EcoMotion is in the business of finding cost effective ways. Of coupling solar with storage, with microgrid controls, energy management systems, so that we can not only have resilience, indefinite resilience, have it in a carbon-free mode, and ideally have it in a very cost-effective mode. In fact, our, our 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 crowning accomplishment, which is the development of six microgrids up in Monterey County, mm. the deal is at parity. The school district is now paying exactly what it used to pay to Pacific Gas and Electric on an annual basis to instead have solar plus storage plus microgrid controls plus energy management systems so those campuses can run indefinitely in a carbon-free mode if if the grid goes down at parity right so that's that's the uh that's the best case phenomenal yeah that's the best case right there phenomenal so what are there any other things that we can do as everyday citizens and, and people in our communities to reduce the amount of power that we actually need to live our day-to-day -day lives. Is there anything to make ourselves more efficient? Right. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that out. And, and actually, in the paper, which discusses four pathways to energy resilience, we start off with energy efficiency, which should be everybody's first step when they're considering using solar power or, or preparing to become energy resilient. I don't, Barry, I don't know anybody that can't find efficiency savings in their life. I mean, I've been, I've been in the efficiency business now for 35 years. You are welcome to come over to my house. I will point out all the things that I can still do and should do and will do. Right. Ultimately, right? But, but we all, you know, we're all making this transition to LED light bulbs in our homes. I'm probably 75% of the way there in my house. Uh, we're all going into more efficient refrigerators. Uh, if you've got south-facing windows and don't have any awnings or window coatings, there's that. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things you can do to your home in terms of insulate, insulating your home and, 
and using daylighting and all that kind of stuff. So absolutely, before anybody thinks about buying solar or buying resilience, go through your house, get an expert over the utilities are happy to send people over. Go through your house and just make it as efficient as possible. That is your most cost-effective step on your pathway to, to energy resilience. That's phenomenal. Well, thank you for that bit of advice. I do have, I just want to geek out a little bit. I read something on micro turbines. Now, how do you feel about that? What exactly is that technology? And is that something that we should consider implementing yeah. into our homes or our businesses? Yeah. Yeah, micro turbines are, are pretty cool. And uh, they, that is one of the four pathways in the, in the white paper. Uh, the first one being conventional generators, which are just like reciprocating engines. They're basically like the engines that we have in our cars. It's like like a lot of these generators are just like you know, V8s, you know, they're like Chevy V8s, you know, or straight six. I mean, it's really sort of very, very basic technology. A microturbine takes advantage of, of uh, real advances in, in, in aviation and, and mm. jet engines. And a microturbine is like a jet engine. It doesn't, it doesn't develop torque, it develops thrust. And it does it in a super efficient way. Mm. Uh, Microturbines take advantage of, of the material revolution uh, that has allowed us to create bearings with cl closer and closer tolerances and take, has taken advantage of sort of aerodynamics in a big way. Mm. We have a company right here in Los Angeles called Capstone. It's probably the leading microturbine developer in the world. Mm. It's put nine, over 9,000 of these systems in all over the, all over the world. Uh, there are advantages of microturbines. They can they can use uh, any number of uh, liquid or gaseous fossil fuels. So you could use a liquid fuel like a diesel, or you could use a gaseous fuel like a propane. Um, in the future, they will be able to run on renewable natural gas, uh, which is something of great interest to me because RNG is basically carbon free. It's using this in the current account of our carbon cycle. Uh, they can also run on hydrogen. Uh, which is again can be electrolyzed from water, and hydrogen can be a can be a fuel that can be used in microturbines. A few other things that are pretty cool about them is that microturbines also produce heat. So when we did a big analysis for Loyola Marymount University about how to power their campus, mm -hmm. and we were adding as much solar we could, as much as the utility regulations would allow through net energy metering and feed-in tariffs, we started looking at microturbines and realizing that oh my gosh. The microturbines could generate electricity on campus using a renewable fuel, ultimately, uh, and have a lower carbon intensity than the grid. They also produce heat, as I said, so you could use that heat for start for space heating the campus. You could use that for hot water heating. You could use it for space heating. You could also use heat uh, here in, in southern climates for absorption chilling. So that's pretty cool. And uh, microturbines can also go up and down to follow the load, they can be ganged together so that you can kind of carefully follow the load. So a number of advantages to them, uh, they're, they're sort of the next big step up, the quantum step from a conventional generator is to get into a microturbine that's very slick, very high powered, exactly. uh, and again, you can do some load following and uh, you can pick up this thermal energy as well. It's all very, very interesting stuff. And thank you for taking your time out today to you know, answer some of these questions. I just have one more, and it's a pretty basic one. Where do you see the future of resilience? What does it look like in the next 10 years? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, 
resilience will be built into the into into our homes and our businesses and our schools and our institutions uh, in one form or another. You know, whether it's solid state batteries or gravitational storage systems or compressed air systems or whatever it happens to be. There's all these again. There's all these different types of storage, but architects will start to just as they built fire suppression systems into buildings you know they'll be building energy resiliency systems into buildings mm -hmm. uh, just as we're now involved with stormwater capture and we're able to capture you know 100 of water that hits a building site in the future we'll have energy energy resilient buildings that'll just be a i think that'll be a standard a, a standard feature one of the coolest things about resilience and this gets to what i was talking about was using these expensive assets is that imagine uh, it's, imagine you, we have a school and we put a lot of solar on, at the school site, enough to 100% cover the school with solar, and we put a whole bunch of batteries there, you know, enough to run the, run the school for the whole day. Um, but now imagine that the sun is shining, it's a normal day, there's no problem with the grid, and it gets to be noon, halfway through the school day. Well, at that point, we've got way more capacity energy in the battery than we would ever need for that day. So why don't we sell some of that capacity into these emerging markets? And there are some fascinating emerging markets um, that, are, that, are, that are tie into this energy storage arena that we're talking about. One is that that capacity could be sold back to our utilities for what we call demand response or demand flexibility programs. So the utilities, you know, when they're about to reach their peak, their, their peak demand and they're having problems and they're having to buy power on the spot market at exorbitant prices from out of state or wherever the heck they can get it from. You know, they can, they can call a demand aggregator uh, that we might be under contract with and they can basically use that capacity that we have in our batteries that we don't need to get through the day and get ready for tomorrow. So that, that, that what we call these secondary revenue streams from these batteries, that's one of them. And another one that's even more far out is selling the energy in the battery and the frequency control that's inherent in the energy in the batteries, selling that to our independent system operator mm -hmm. here in California. It's the California independent system operator. It runs all the power plants in the state, and it maintains frequency control on the grid. Mm -hmm. Well, it has a really big job. You know, they when you look at it, we have about a thousand power plants in California of various sizes, and then we have what about fourteen million customers, you know, or consumers in the state um, that are all using this power. So powering thirty-seven million people's lives, right? So, wow. so that that ISO, independent system operator, has to match all of our demand for power. Dodger Stadium fires up. Oh, there's another demand, right? Has to match all of our demands of power with all the power plants that are sitting out there, right? Mm -hmm. So what we had, I come from a utility background. What we had to do for many years was we had to maintain a 15% reserve margin. In other words, we had to maintain enough power plants, 15% more than was needed at any given moment. So just in case something happens, right? Mm -hmm. A power plant goes down, there's a transmission line that goes down, some new loads come on all at the same coincidentally, something like that. We have this reserve so the whole system doesn't crash. Well, instead of having power plants that are called spinning reserves that are just wasting fossil fuels and that are available to be energized quickly, energized the grid quickly, instead of that, why don't we just call upon all these storage devices, right? And guess what? A power plant takes 15 minutes to ramp up to get to the amount of energy that you need out of that. A battery takes four nanoseconds, or four milliseconds, I guess it is. Mm -hmm. Almost, you know, almost in, uh, insignificant amount of time. So, so in the future, 
are all of these distributed energy storage devices, all of these batteries, will all become part of this statewide resiliency and nationwide res resiliency. And I'll just, I know I'm, I'm giving you a lot all at once, but I'll take this one step farther. I have a Chevy Bolt, an electric vehicle. It's got 60 kilowatt hours of storage on board, right? Oh, wow. 60 kilowatt hours. A Tesla Powerwall has, remember, 13 and a half kilowatt hours. Right. I've got four, four times as much as a Tesla Powerwall sitting in my car, which is almost always full. So ultimately, all of our vehicles will be connected to our homes through what's wow. called vehicle-to-grid technology. And our, our cars will become our resiliency devices. You heard this morning, we're working with this school district, right? They just got 10 electric buses. Those electric buses will become resiliency devices. They can just, you can just run a bus from, you can take the bus from the bus yard over to school number three that has a power outage, plug the buses into the grid right there, and the buses power the school. So you ask what's going to look like in 10 years. Our mobility systems are getting combined with our, our, our built environment. And our mobility systems have tremendous storage capabilities already on board that, again, create this, this whole new fabric. So these are exciting times. You know, while the grid is being threatened, um, while the climate emergency, the climate crisis is real, it's, it's in our face, there is just a tremendous headlong surge by our industry to create energy resilience and to find ways that we can provide this resilience to people so that it's really cost effective, it's, it's very effective, it's very cost effective, it's non-polluting, mm -hmm. it doesn't exacerbate the problem, it's really part of the solution to the problem. And I look forward to, again, I'll bring this down back to my own home, I look forward to being a, um, a contributor in my community. You know, if I, if I now, I'm going to reconfigure my system at my own home so that if that grid goes down, hey, if you need to come over and charge your cell phone in my house, please do. Right. I'm going to be I'm going to be a community asset. Right, that's my goal. That's beautiful. I tell you, we've covered a ton of material here. Hopefully, folks, it didn't feel like drinking out of a fire hose, but that's what this industry is. There is constant new developments and innovation taking place. Ted Flanagan, we want to thank you so much for your time today, and Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Please join us next time. Thank you. Thank you.